Welcome back to the Candy Pants Lifestyle Podcast. I'm Nick, and about 10 years ago, I was a student, and a group of lads convinced me to work part-time for their events company. The job basically paid me to stand on the door of nightclubs with a clipboard, and back then, that made me think I was pretty much the coolest man alive. Looking back, I can promise you, I definitely wasn't. But it was the start of a journey that, I guess, has led me to where I am today, even if where I am today, right now, is actually sat on my own, talking into a microphone from my mum's spare bedroom. But seriously, there probably isn't many people on the face of this planet who have run more student parties than this week's guest has. As the founder of the UK's largest promotions company, he has literally put millions of people through the doors of his events up and down the country all while setting up his own bars, shot-selling companies, and even diving headfirst into the notoriously difficult world of music festivals. If you've been a student in the UK pretty much at any time in the last 10 years, chances are, whether you know it or not, you've probably been to one of his events. And on top of that, I can also say he's probably one of the nicest and most genuine people in this industry. This is the journey of Dave Gardner-Chan, the student parties man. Chani on the podcast, how are you, Mr. Dave Chan? I'm really good, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. It's probably, you know what, it's probably important to say at this point, right, for anyone who is listening, Dave is the man behind the company who, well, for me, gave me my first ever chance in events and nightlife. Um, obviously, I'm kind of, if people don't know, I'm the kind of marketing director at Candy Pants now, but initially, Dave and his company are the ones who led me astray as a fresher at university from <laughs> doing a politics degree to then trying to convince people to spend as much of their student loan as possible on Jaeger bombs. And I think you've sorry done about that, that mate. quite a few people, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, sorry about that, mate. It's uh, maybe a different path to what the one that you thought you were going to end up on, but I'll, uh, hopefully it's been a positive. It has. I mean, I've been led astray, but in a roundabout way for the best, I think. So if for people who don't know, anybody who doesn't, what would you say Voodoo Events, the company that you own now, is? So I'd say we're probably a, a student marketing company now. We, we Our predominant audience is students, but we also appeal to sort of an 18 to 25 age range. Um, our, our core business is to run uh, club nights, which are weeklies at various nightclubs in different cities. Uh, but we also do gigs and shows and one-offs. Uh, we do a bit of digital marketing and we also have um, a shot selling company. So we've, we've kind of started off from a, from a small operation. God knows, it was 14 years ago, I think, maybe. Um, we, were, we used to run two weekly club nights in Leeds. And since then, it's grown to sort of, depending on the year, somewhere between um, 10 and sort of 12 club, weekly club shows and then other bits in between. I was going to say, the, be- the best way to describe it, so it took me, I think, probably seven or eight years for my mum to actually believe that it was a proper job. 
and that was doing something actually constructive was that we acted as a marketing agent for companies in nightlife I think that's probably the it took me a long time to get that that definition through to my mum but once she got hold of that she, I still think she doesn't think I've got a proper job but well, I think I'd like to hope she, she, she gives me a little is? bit of credit my auntie is so her understanding is that we run these like brunches in Dubai and I believe mm-hmm. her understanding is that we do some form of breakfast I don't know if she thinks <laughs> that I cook that fried eggs and stuff but her understanding is that I run breakfast maybe like a and b concept well, so that's her understanding I've just given up trying to explain what yeah. it is um, I'm glad you've had the same problems so what do you think is the main differences between student nights, so to say, to maybe promoting for other types of just general night out? Yeah, good question. I mean, the student nights, obviously, by definition, it's kind of targeted at students, whether they be sort of local college kids, whether it be people at local universities, or whether it be people travelling, you know, your traditional student who travel in from a different location to travel and, you know, study in a city. Um, and I think for us, the, the, the big thing is, our, is the audience and how it changes. So, I think with with other club nights, there is a, a, a bigger age and, and and demographic of people who might come to them. Whereas for us, every week, uh, sorry, every year, we have a new influx of students into the city, and also a, an influx of students out of the city. And and the big thing for us is to every year we have to re-engage with a new audience uh, of freshers, and we have to get the buy-in from them. And we have a three-year sort of shelf life if you want to call it that with the with our with our audience before the next set move in and move out of the city so the way that we have to market the, the events is is different because we almost work on a repetitive cycle so every september in freshers when the new students come in there's a really kind of aggressive full-on um, marketing campaign um, and then through the year this continues and then over the summer it's a bit quieter and then come August, which is A-level results, when the new students get their <clears throat> sort of you know confirmation of going to a city, they start again. So it's a it's a very what's the word maybe transient crowd. They're they're in and out of the city, and we we have to start again, if you like, our cycle every every year. Whereas I think with other club nights, it's more about kind of appealing to a, a much broader audience um, and them coming to your events as and when. So you led me astray and a few others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who led you astray? So how did you initially get into this? Yeah, okay. So it, it, I'll go right back to when the, the whole first thing started. So the week before I was meant to be going to Leeds Met at the time, which is now Leeds Beckett, um, I was in the uh, the local village takeaway waiting for some food and a girl who I went to primary school with walked in and said, oh, you, you'll be going to uni this year, won't you? And I said, yeah. She said, where are you going? I said, Leeds Met. She said, well, I'm there and I've got a job with a promotions company. So if you're interested, just give me a shout when you arrive. So the first night we arrived, the first Monday we went out and all my friends went to the ball to see Wigfield and there was three of us who rebelled. I was like, I am not coming to Leeds to go to a student's union and see Wigfield. So we went to... Um, we went <laughs> I to don't even know Wigfield Creation. also, but I'll take your word for it. Oh, right. So Saturday night, well, the, the, when, you, when, you, when you hear it in a club, it's 1995, so it's way older than any student. But, yeah, Dave, uh, I was but three. Yeah, people... Some, yeah, I hate to remember things like that. That's the, the sort of, to be honest, well, I'll, I'll digress slightly, but the, this is the year where I was absolutely dreading where the freshers, when they say how old they are, and I'm twice their age, so I, I was I was going to uni the year they were born, which is a, a horrendous statistic. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on from that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I, we, we, we decided we were going to go to a club called Creation in Leeds, and that was the big club at the time, and the girl who had seen the, the week before said look I can you know I work for the company I can get us in but you have to make sure you're there bang on 10 because it'll be crazy 
So we were like, yeah, no worries, super keen freshers. So we got there at quarter two and there was not a soul there. Like, thought, oh, I must have got our times wrong. So went to the Weatherspoons as you do around the corner, got yeah. a pint, came back at two minutes past ten. And I have never seen a queue like it in my entire life. Like from nowhere, a thousand plus people had appeared. You couldn't see the back of the queue. Anyway, fortunately, Kate was there and uh, she got us to the front, whisked us straight in and I walked into what I can only describe as the, you know, at the time, the greatest club I'd ever been in. And I was like, God, I want to be involved in this. So had the whole of Freshers Week, um, you know, partying and, and getting, you know, getting pissed. And then got to the end of the week, realised I'd spunked most of my student loan and um, had to ring her up begging for a job. So um, so started as a hall rep, giving out flyers around halls of residence. Um, and then in November, I'd said to one of the, the, the girls who ran front of house, look, I'd, I'd really like to get involved. Would you mind if I just came and worked? I'll do it for free. I don't want pay and I just want to be involved. And she said, yeah, no problem. So I'd start doing that. And she left in November, so I took her job. And then the city manager left to start his own company in January. So by, well, four months into being a, a fresher in Leeds, um, I was running this night that I'd turned up to in the first, in the first week of term, thinking, what, how the hell have I ended up here? Um, and yes, yeah, so from there, it's just sort of developed. I didn't, I never really planned on going to, into nightclubs. It was corporate marketing I was involved, well, wanting to get involved in, but found it really difficult to get into. So by default, ended up doing my placement year and, and continuing through it and got to the end of uni and thought, well, yeah, I probably want to carry on doing this. And what's so, that company voodoo? No, no. So I worked for a company called Cool It to start with. So that was a guy, the, the guy who um, I worked for, he probably taught me everything I knew. And a uh, really good guy called John Morris. And um, he's Jamie Vardy's agent now, done, done amazingly well for himself. So uh, yeah, really good guy, taught me pretty much everything I knew. Um, unfortunately, when I finished uni, we didn't have a great uh, end to, to our employment. And a few of us ended up going to one of his arch rivals, which to this day I regret now. Um, but we, uh, we, we went there you know, with the best of intentions, ended up working there for about four or five months and pretty much hated every minute. And then that's when my now business partner, Matt, tapped me up. So this was maybe 2006. And he approached me and said, I'm setting up a company. Do you want to get involved? And I was like, yeah, definitely. So I went to, to the guy who ran the company and said, look, so I'm... So you're fresh you know, out of uni at this point, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I was, only, I was only young at the time and probably a little bit naive and um, went to him and said, look, I, I'm, I'm really sorry. It's not really working. I, I'm, I'm going to go and set up with somebody else if that's okay. And thought that he would be happy that we kind of repaired things for, for him in the last six months. And he shook my hand and said, thanks for everything. No problem. Um, and I thought that was it. And then two days later, uh, got a knock on the door. Well, it wasn't actually a knock on the door that I answered, but I'd just moved into a new flat share and the police knocked on my door and said, uh, we're arresting you for, I can't remember what the charge was, malicious modification of IT equipment or something of the sort, something like that. I was like, you what? So they were like, yeah, come with us. So I got arrested, um, spent Mother's Day, which I was meant to be going home to see my mum, but obviously couldn't call her. Spent Mother's Day in a prison cell. And, um, <laughs> Dave, this story's and, taken such a turn, I wasn't expecting. Yeah, it's, yeah well, I thought a part of me didn't want to tell the story, but I thought, do you know what? It's, it's all turned out all right in the end, so I'll, 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 I'll tell it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so the, the, the police bailed me. Um, he'd given them a big sob story about how we'd... We'd taken some databases and financial records and other things, which we had no access to whatsoever. Right. Uh, and then I got a call on Monday morning from him and he said, do you want to meet me? And so I went to meet him and he said, right, uh, you've got two options here. Um, I'm going to go at you for breach of contract and I'm also going to push for the criminal case. Uh, and basically tried to blackmail me there and then and said, if you sign this agreement saying you won't compete against me for a year uh, in any city that I operate in, I'll let it go. 
But if you don't, I'm going to ruin your life. Those were his words, I'm going to ruin your life. So I said, oh, I need to think about it. And fortunately, Matt was amazing about it. He was like, right, we'll hire a lawyer. We'll go against him. Don't worry, I've got you on this. Uh, it'll be fine. So after six months of to and fro in, um, it was all dropped, all charges dropped. Um, the PC, who I will never forget, PC6261 Smith, who at the time, at the start, when he first arrested me, was like, oh, mate, you're in some trouble here. By the end of it, I'll not say the word he described the guy as, but he was like, that guy is an absolute, I hope you, I hope you do really well. Yeah. And um, yeah, fortunately, I mean, the, the, that was a, a tough time to, to you know, a bit of a baptism of fire, if you want to call it that. <laughs> See you but, uh, Oh, God. But um, yeah, the, the, the thing I have to thank, I'll, I'll not name him, but the guy who, who, who tried to kind of ruin my life, as it were, was that he taught me never, ever treat people like that because all you will do is fill them full of, full of fire. And, and, and to be honest, I have a lot to thank him for in that, that... He, uh, yeah, he, he got me ready for, he gave me a tougher skin and I was ready to, to, to battle for my professional life. So yeah, that was how I started. And yeah, I suppose you then start with, as you say, a bit more fire to go tell you what, well, I'm definitely want to make it happen now. Yeah, 100%. I was like, I am not going to sleep until that guy doesn't do what I do anymore. And yeah. it, it took it took a few years, but we got there eventually. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a really strange and tough time. And uh, yeah, I was, like I said before, I was probably a bit naive and, and I understand that he was trying to protect his business, but there was ways and means of doing things and, and ultimately what he did was fill me full of, you know, of, of, of spite and, but also motivation to, to make sure that I was going to be, be a success and my mum found out about it sort of midway through and was in absolute hysterics about it <laughs> and I was like, look, it'll be alright, don't worry, it'll be alright, well, although, although I wasn't sure quite how it was going to pan out, but, uh, but yeah, that was my start in nightlife, so I, I learned very quickly that it was a a pretty savage industry in, in certain points, but you just needed to to make sure that you were, you know, you, you played played fair and, and, and got on with things. So initially, where did Voodoo go from mm-hmm. there? So we we started with two club nights at a club called Halo in Leeds, which was a converted church, which I still have really fond memories of, a, a, a beautiful yeah. grade two listed it's church. It's amazing, that club, to be fair. That was a, inc- a full-on old church oh, in a night club. Incredible venue, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, now it's that Leeds Uni have bought it and it's going to be turned into, I think, a library or some sort of study facility. But yeah, at the time, it was you know one of the you know one of the probably most iconic venues in the north, if not the country. There's very few converted premises like that. You know, a, a, a big Gothic church, and uh, yeah, we had some amazing times in there. And we we started we started there and then grew really quickly. We, we were we, we were quite you know case sort of right place right time with with certain nights and before you knew it we were doing five weekly club nights in Leeds and then we were doing a, a weekly club show in Newcastle as well on a Saturday at Riverside so in uh, in your hometown which was which was really good really good fun actually I had fond memories of there as well actually so, uh, that was so like, yeah honestly, that, the night that you then put on in Newcastle pretty much became my first I mean I was like yeah. I was sixth form and it was like my first yeah. dip of my tour into nightlife really mm-hmm. and it was and I mean it was a monster in Newcastle yeah. Yeah, it was a really fun night. And, and, and that's, you know, over, over the years, we've been really lucky that we've run some of these nights. And what's great is when you chat to people who've been to, you know, Newcastle, Manchester, Leeds, Sheffield, various cities, and they've been to our nights. And, you know, you, we've you know, been doing it a long enough time now that, you know, there's people who are, you know, 30, th- mid-30s that still remember their, their Wednesday nights at Oceana or Saturdays at Riverside or Wednesdays at the Birdcage and stuff. And it, it's lovely when you chat to people and, and you talk about their first memories of clubbing. And one of those memories was was one of your events, which is a, a really nice feeling. So, yeah, there's some, there's some good memories up in there. Well, still, still plenty of memories being made, but some really good memories up in Newcastle. 
so what are then you how did you then get into other territories and other cities and how did it just suddenly snowball where you seem to be doing a lot of other cities it was i mean we didn't have a specific plan it was a lot of it in in in, in promoting as you'll know is about the personal relationships you have with people um the you know the, the venues that are available obviously but a lot of it is about your your, your infrastructure and how you build a city and we were we were lucky i, I ran an event called it was a, pub, a t-shirt pub crawl called carnage and that introduced me to lots of people and that allowed me to build a platform in different cities. Newcastle was the, the first one. And what it meant is that we already had a management structure. We had networkers, we had ticket sellers, we had staff. We had various people in the city who were already ingrained in the, in the weekly nightlife. So we were, when we launched and we had the right venue, we were immediately able to make an impact. And don't get me wrong, we had, a, you know, I've heard you talk about your brunches as well when you first started in Dubai. And by no means did it just start off with a bang. It was, first few events was really hard. And you, you know what it's like when you first start and you stood, you know, you have that sick feeling in the lead up to the event. You're nervous. You've no idea if people are going to turn up. And that relief when a few do, but it's not quite there. And you're like, right, that's something to build on. And you've got to keep that kind of faith and keep the momentum when it's quite hard because you're sort of like, oh, God, you don't know if people actually want to come to the events. And if you got it right, if you pitched it right, is the promotion right? Is the music right? All these different things. But eventually, hopefully, things sort of snowball. And, and, and yeah, eventually you, you, you pick up a night and, and that doesn't mean that they're sorted forever. But what it means is that you can sort of have a breath and then you start sort of programming more entertainment you know, more peripheral entertainment, you improve things, you improve the music and hopefully you end up with a solid product that sort of people market for you because they love it. Uh, and that's always the aim. Obviously, you grew pretty quickly in terms of other nights in cities and then other cities around that. And as we've kind of already said, like people are protective over nights and concept and that kind of thing in nightlife like i've seen nothing else it's like drug cartels it's bizarre <laughs> yeah but tell me some of your experiences about like these like nightlife wars that become these social media like phenomenons for like a day yeah it's strange i mean the the, the probably the the the, the funniest one we had a while back was with this guy so i did say we'd end up going head to head at some point and um how many years ago was it now? Maybe six years ago now. So one of our, well, on our nights, lowest common denominator store, very studio, a vintage student night called Quids In, which runs, there's lots of them, different promoters use the yeah. brand as well, actually. And and uh, it was run at, at, at Halo, actually. So that, that was the, the the club that we'd started at. It was run at the mon- on a Monday and was an absolute monster. And Halo shut down. The, the company that operated them were um, just decided to, sh- to shut the venue. So Quids In as a brand was up for grabs and we ended up um, picking it up. So we, we took all the old Quids In team, but then his venue, so the, the guy we used to work for, he, he bought the, the same guy page and various other bits. Exactly, yeah, that same guy. And so we had, a, we had a battle to basically say, we're the, we're the real Quids In, no, you're the real Quids In. <laughs> um, and, you know, at the time it was, you know, some people, not mocked it, but people were like, oh my God, there's promoters arguing over a night that, that is basically about getting in for a quid and quid drinks but I knew exactly what that night could be and what it entailed and, and it still is what it, it, it's as synonymous with student club nights it's you know it's, it's very much value-led but it's also really fun and it's one of the only club nights really that plays and, and is in, embraces a guilty pleasures music policy so anything from you know Chesney Hawks and really old I'm probably going to list a load of people who you've never heard of now, Chesney again, Hawks but yeah Ch- Chesney Hawks and, and you know Five and S Club and, and things like, like that I like in as a brand you know, everything it entails the fact that it's accessible it's big room it's fun music it's almost 
the stereotypical student night it all is, packaged yeah. up in one. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and like I said before, there's not that many of these nights that exist anymore now. We've had to very much change our, um, our, 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 our products, if you like, because students are a lot more savvy. They, are, they have access to so much more information and music and you know, Spotify and SoundCloud and all these things have opened them up. So the rate, what we've had to do is our range of nights is very different. We have cool underground nights that play Tech House. We have big production-led nights in the O2 Academies that are very much sort of indoor festivals and shows. We have traditional club nights, we have sports nights, there's there's all sorts. But the the, the, the overriding thing in all of them is that they're they're fun and the the you know they 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 give the the crowd, whether it be a student or a local or, or, a, or a tourist who's coming for the night, that a really good experience. And and that, I think that's the, the big thing that's really important. I've, you know, I've watched really closely what you guys have done for years with your fancy dress and the various other things like that that give you that kind of. It's, I wouldn't say it's not really an edge. It's just that identity, I suppose, isn't it? And yeah. people people want to go to something that is fun, that is cool, that has an identity, and and that goes very much from just the you know the handshake or the hug at the front door, which obviously. We're going to have to figure out a new way to do that moving forward. But um, yeah, we've 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 very much over the 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 whole period of our time been you know very client facing, if you like, and very visible in what we do, and 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 made sure that we look after people and build really strong bonds with people, whether that be the you know the venues, the the customers, the DJs, the performers, whoever it be. It's a it's a big family. You touched on it there, and I hate to word this question like this, but because I know you, I'm going to wind you up. But you've essentially run nights for the entirety, in a sense, of my life. <laughs> and I want to know yeah. what changes you've seen kind of in the culture of nightlife. Because, I mean, I've seen it in the last, you know, the, maybe the last 10 years that I've been involved, but you've seen yeah. it on a bigger scale. Like, what are the changes you've seen in the culture of nightlife, you think, over the th- time? Th- thanks for that little jive there. <laughs> Another little kick, mate. Appreciate it. But... Um, I, I mean, the, the club scene has changed. It, it re, there was a real t- turning point. I think, well, two turning points. I think the first one was was the change in licensing laws where everybody essentially could open to whatever time they wanted. The, the old structure of nightclubs and the way it worked, you know, we, we used to go out at 7, 8 p.m., we'd go to Weatherspoons, you'd have a few beers there, and then you'd have to go to the club at 11 because clubs opened at 11, bars shut at 11. So the club was really where you went to sort of peak and, and get stuck into your party. Uh, and that was the only place you could stay until two, three in the morning. And then suddenly things changed and late night bars and even not even late night bars, just bars in general could open until much, much later. Um, and I think that changed people's sort of habits in, in, in going out. But also preloading became a massive thing. So this, the, you know, you talk about how, how bars and clubs operate. And unfortunately, if people want to go out with any sort of frequency, they're, they're, they tend to drink before they go out. Now, don't get me wrong. I love I love preloading and drinking before I go out just as much as the next person so I, I'm a hypocrite if I say that I wish yeah. people wouldn't do it but it, it put a whole different slant on things the majority of our events now people um, ring a taxi at 11 o'clock or half past 11 or whatever time they feel like it they get their Uber or their taxi down to the front door they get out of the taxi they get in the queue and they walk into the club there's no there's no um, you know kind of pub to club anymore now everybody's sort of maybe on a Saturday night but in general people are are sort of just wanting to go to the club for their experience. Now, I guess in some ways you can say that's good, but it also means that when people arrive at the venues, they're already absolutely tanked, yeah. uh, and and that, that it, you know, and they're in sort of affects the spends for the venues and the margins they can make. But also, people expect, especially at student nights, cheap drinks because 
you can buy a bottle of wine for £3.50 from Sainsbury's. And, you know, if you think about what you can get for £3.50 in a club, although we are very competitive now because we have to be, still that doesn't really compete. So I think people's arrival times, the way they view clubbing has certainly changed. And, and I'm talking about weekly clubs here now, obviously stuff that's DJ-led, like, you know, your warehouse projects and various other things. People are there to see different things and, and DJs and stuff. But in terms of weekly clubbing and people, how people behave, I think they probably go out a bit less um, and I think that when they do go out, they, they preload and they go out later. Um, and I think they also expect more for their money, which is fair enough. I have no problem with that, really. But they you know, they expect to see lots of production because they've seen it on on social media. They've seen big LED screens. They've seen CO2. They've seen pyrotechnics. They've seen dancers. They've seen you know big balloons that go out onto the dance floor. They see all these things online and they're like, right, well, I want to go to an event that does that too. But they want to pay £5 for a ticket. Yeah. So, so that's the that, that's the the way the markets change. But I, in a way, it's been great for us because it's meant that we've got to we've got to work harder to to impress the customer, and I think that makes us better as a as a promoter because we, if we don't give them the best possible experience, they'll vote with their feet, and you won't see them again. Um, and for us, when you run weekly club nights, that re, you know retention of your customer and that repeat customer is is incredibly important because otherwise you don't have a business. So. I've stood on nightclub doors with you, um, mm-hmm. like you have with a lot of people. I dread to think the number of people have walked past you and gone to a student night. Crazy. So yeah. this could be a gold mine. This question, but Go what on. do you think is the most bizarre or wild thing you have seen at one of your events? Feel free to name numerous if you can't. Pick <laughs> well, t- I was thinking about this last night. I thought you might ask me this, and. This will stay with me. I, I will never forget this moment. This was maybe, oh, maybe seven years ago. And our, our Wednesday night has always been based around sports teams. So if, there's always people in fancy dress and there's always people dressed like idiots and whatever else. And we, I've seen, don't get me wrong, I've seen loads of different things. But the rugby guys were notorious for, for, for their you know, various antics and what have yeah. you. I'm and, worried now because rugby oh, stories have got... <laughs> Yeah, well, this, well, this one, it, this, 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 it was more the, the personal hygiene. So one of the rugby lads tipped up dressed as a chicken. Now, I didn't clock it until he got closer. So he had a chicken outfit on, but he had two raw roast chickens over his hands. And he was waving <laughs> these chickens around in the queue. And all the like, girls are screaming and guys are like, get away from me. And he's, he's, he's absolutely hammered. So he, he thinks it's the funniest thing that's ever happened. Anyway, we said to him, like, look, mate, that, fair play, you know, good work on the, on the, on the, well, fancy dress if you want to call it that, but it's not particularly hygienic to have two raw chickens coming around the club and, and throwing <laughs> them about. And the guy, he literally just threw both his hands so the chickens went flying off and then just said, right, I'm ready, I've got rid of them. And we were like, no, mate, one, you need to wash your hands and two, you can't just throw raw chickens around in a queue. He'd split one of the biggest queues I've ever seen. He'd split it in half because there's just these two chickens everywhere. And I was like, mate, come on. And he genuinely didn't think there was anything wrong. He was like, what, what? And, and that, that moment, I will never forget the look on his face of almost horror that we were telling him to take these raw chickens off his hands. And I was like, mate, come on. So that one sticks in my mind. I mean, we've, we've seen all sorts of crazy things over the years. And just the, the crowds in general, like... The energy in a lot of the, 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 the club nights, you know, these, the, these 18 to 21 year olds especially, but, you know, plenty of people who go clubbing, just, you know, mosh pits have become almost commonplace or did certainly through the EDM boom and they're terrifying things, but a sight to behold. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, you, you wouldn't believe some of the things that you, you see. There's, there's just, you know, by the time people arrive at our nights, they're, they're, they're not necessarily in control of the behaviour. So we've, we, we have to manage some interesting situations. But um, yeah, I think that the, the sports teams and especially the rugby teams over the year have probably given us some, yeah, has given us some of the, uh, the, the, the most memorable stories, I'd say. <laughs> some um, that I think that it's probably, it doesn't, maybe doesn't strike, some of the stories that you might tell me probably won't strike me as, as strange as they'll strike other people. Because I have only now started to realise how weird some of these things are, as I've started explaining to other people who aren't involved in nights. But what yeah. are the challenges that come with running a company where pretty much all of your staff are students? Yeah, well, th- th- this is this has been the challenge for years. I mean, th- th- in the same way that our crowd changes year on year, our staff do also. So the majority of our we have a full time section of, of staff, um, but our event managers are all students, which means that each year we have ones that leave, ones that arrive, and it's a it's a really big balance. Each July we have like a, an X Factor style get together with all the, the directors and the senior staff and all of the people whose names are in the pots. We look at the dynamic, what they're good at, what they're not good at and then look how we blend them into the different teams for each night um, and sometimes we get it right sometimes we get it wrong and we've had some incredibly talented um, you know event managers over the period you know you were all right I suppose um, so yeah we, we pick out some guys who are, who are really really quite talented and go on to do amazing things whether it be in events or, or elsewhere one thing that I've kind of the more I've done these podcasts and spoken to different people I've noticed a bit of a trend and when you think about it there's actually so many people who have a lot of them have come through Voodoo with you guys or have just come through the general ranks of, you know, running student nights and then in whatever industry they then go into have seemed to have done very well, whether it be, you know, like we've had the lads who do a visa in Manchester. They went on to run Couture Club. You know, I know there's so many lads who've come through Voodoo and gone run things all over the world. What kind of things do you think that student promotions, which to a lot of people will just look like a piss up, actually teach these people, which then becomes so useful to them later on? Yeah, really good question that. I think for, for... I touched on it there, but yeah, to, to develop that point, I think that it's it's a, it's an industry where you have to have wits about you, you have to have marketing experience, you need operational experience, and you also need, and I think this is the biggest thing, uh, just personable experience. I think it's not about necessarily having the gift of the gab, it's just about knowing how to talk to people and getting people to warm to you, it, whether it be you're trying to persuade them to come to a club night, whether you're trying to sell them, you know, like the, the, the lads in Manchester, whether you're trying to sell clothing, a clothing line, various things, whatever it is, the fundamentals are that if people like you and they root for you and they want to work with you and they see you as a, as a bright person who can, can achieve things, then they'll, they'll buy into it. And I think that's the, the, the real biggest point. I mean, it's, a, it's got sales elements to it. It's got, like I said before, marketing, operational experience, but also as well, you're dealing with drunk people a lot of the time who aren't the most, you know, you know, they're not the easiest to deal with. So if you can deal with someone who's had way too much to drink and you can talk them down from a potentially, whether it be a, an aggressive situation, whether it be a frustrating situation where, for instance, they've been knocked back because they've had too much to drink or they haven't got their ID or whatever, you can turn these real negatives into a positive and, and that kind of goes in any walk of life. I think you can shape the way that someone's night goes. If you give them a smile, say hi, and give them an, a, an instruction in a, in a positive way, and they go away smiling, they will have, hopefully, a good night. But if you are difficult with someone, you talk down to someone, you say something that aggravates them, you will change their mood. And these things give you really good life lessons in, I think, how to hold yourself 
at whatever age you are and in whatever industry you work in and I think have real positives for, for people moving forward and it, it does it makes me really proud when you know you see people who've who've come through our ranks and, and, and other promoters ranks who are who are smashing it I love to see people doing well and I think it's great so you've obviously built by this point you built voodoo up to be in you know student events kind of essentially all over the country especially in the north of England but you started doing other things, didn't you? I know you did like a festival. You started doing things with the O2 Academies, like bigger experience type shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a bar now. Like, uh-huh. what else? What else have you kind of gone on to do? Well, the festival, the, the dreaded F word. There, I thought you were going to say that actually, but that was that was probably one of my biggest life lessons, if you like. That's the festivals are kind of the holy grail for promoters. They're they're always you know you want to do something bigger and better than what you're already doing. And Why do you think looking, everybody gets pulled into that? Like everybody, it seems that everybody gets to a point and like yeah. a festival, and yeah. it just seems to be very rarely does it seem to yeah, go work. as everyone yeah. imagined. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. The best way. But yeah, yeah. People continually do it. Yeah, I think it's it's just that you know we're we're all um, you know kind of enthusiastic, positive, ambitious people, and when you do an event, you get you you get to a certain point where you can't make it any bigger. So the capacities of the venues dictate what you can do and the only way to get any bigger is to do a festival and we got to that point I think it was 2012 and yeah at the time it was it, it sounded like a great idea and we had a we had the, the site sorted which was Millennium Square in Leeds which is you know one of the, the most probably the most iconic and known square maybe City Square as well in the city right in front of the town hall uh, amazing site and put it all together and then for all our, our model is that when students arrive in Leeds, that's our big time to promote to them. It was a, called the Freshers Festival, which with hindsight, we probably should call it a student festival. Um, but unfortunately, the Freshers, in, you know, in the three or four years leading up to that, the Freshers weeks had had the most amazing weather. And the year we decided to do an outdoor event, it buckets it down for two weeks in the lead up to it. So yeah. ticket sales were an absolute nightmare. And that was one of my biggest life lessons in the lead up to it. Um, I was the one who, you know, kind of really pushed the idea through. And Mark, my business partner, and Lewis and Aidan, who I work with, had all been really supportive of it. And it just didn't sell. And we did, you know, I think, I think I can't remember how many we did, but we did about 1,400, 1,500 bodies. The, the square held 7,500. Unfortunately, on the day we had some decent weather, but by that point, you know, it was not a case of what we were going to lose; it was how much. Um, and yeah, it was hard. I, I, you know, in the lead up to that, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. Um, you know, th- fortunately, the guys took a lot of the weekly responsibilities off me and just let me focus on getting that done. And it was it was awful. And and you know, two weeks afterwards, I still couldn't sleep and really eat, and and it took a lot out of me. And to take the lessons out of it, I, you know, I, we made a lot of mistakes with that. And people always say, would you do it again? And to be honest, I probably wouldn't then. <laughs> I would certainly choose to do a festival possibly again. But at that point, I was probably a bit young. We were a bit naive. Our, our relationships with agents weren't as good. So we massively overpaid for the for the lineup. Um, and I just don't think I was probably mentally prepared for the strain it was going to put on me. And people who do festivals now, I have the utmost respect for. They are stressful stressful things and, and you know, again to touch on what's going on at the moment I, I, I can't imagine how, how how difficult it's been for promoters and, and you know event organisers who've had to cancel events and or postpone until next year because you have one opportunity to make money and that's the only opportunity for us you know I, I can snap my fingers and we can start operating again the next day but to have to sit now after six months probably of prep for a festival and then have to wait for another year must be 
horrendous. So yeah, I mean, my, my desires to do a festival festival again have been totally squashed anyway after all of this. But uh, yeah, that was that was a that was a tough time. That that was and you that know was... something that I've always thought as well that maybe doesn't get spoken about very much at all, especially not in nightlife where it's quite you know everyone has a bit of bravado and everybody has to be like nothing phases me. I don't think people ever appreciate that. Yeah, it's amazing to have a night with a huge a huge queue when it's popular and there's yeah. nothing better than a night that goes well. But I don't know about you, but I personally found a night that goes bad is so much worse than it feels so much worse than the good a good night feels. It Absolutely. hit me like ten times worse. Absolutely, yeah, and this is part of the reason why now I really still now even appreciate the the busy nights, but. Yeah, that, that crushing feeling when you are stood there with doormen, with other staff, and you've got to try and put a brave face on it, but you know that it's going to be rubbish. And the customers coming in, uh, and this is the thing, we all talk about the positives and the, and the really great events that we've run, but all of us have, have run events that have bombed that haven't done particularly well. And yeah, there is absolutely no worse feeling, but... I always say to, to people I'm working with at the time and the younger lot, they're, you know, they're mortified, and which is, is, is positive in that you know, they're bothered. Yeah. But I'm like, just remember how this feels. And then also, when you get it right, remember how that feels and make sure that you do everything possible to try and make sure that it doesn't happen like this. Because, yeah, we will, you know, don't get me wrong, for the, for the duration of my career, we've had, we've had really bad events that haven't gone well that we've just got wrong but you have good ones and I think that gives you an appreciation of the good ones but yeah I totally agree the feeling the horrible sinking sick oh. feeling you have in your stomach when you know the night is going to be I rubbish like if you it's haven't just been the there, worst. it's very difficult to describe to anyone but it's a bit like you know if you were having your, if you were a kid and it was your birthday party and nobody yeah. came and no one shows up by yeah. 10 it's like that yeah because everyone's that looking at you exactly right and, and yeah like you said it's it's kind of on you and you and you you know you can't point the finger at anyone else you can you can try and identify what's gone wrong but ultimately it's on your head and you are the person who's responsible for the lack of or the people turning and there'll up there'll always be someone one who says why is it not busy oh, oh. well yeah. I would love to tell you that Charlotte <laughs> yeah totally uh, it's it's just and, but it, and again it's not their fault they, they, you know, they don't know yeah. what goes into it and what needs to happen and, and this was the thing when I first started I had no idea what a promoter was I didn't know what the need for a promoter was I just thought everyone turned up at a club by mistake and that was what you did it, it had always just been like that and then as you get into the dynamic of nightlife you realise that promoters are the, the driving force between who arrives at a club or, 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 or who doesn't, or doesn't. <laughs> yeah or who doesn't but yeah it's, it's, a, it's a massive thing that you know big companies use marketers because that's their skill set and they're good at doing that and that's the reason why nightclubs use promoters because they're good at driving a, a footfall and, and the people to, to bodies without the financial risk to the venue What's what's the goal for you now? Um, to be honest, I, I really enjoy the club nights. Still, I, I, you know, the, people say to me, "Oh, you know, do you, know, do you want to carry on working nights?" Lots of people work nights. You know, nurses work really long nights. You know, lots of people. Our our, our entire economy is based around you know being flexible twenty four twenty four seven. So I, I feel incredibly lucky that I run events that are fun and that I work with people that I enjoy. So. Club nights. I have no 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 intention of, of retiring anytime soon. Um, the bar. Hopefully, we'll get that back to where we need to be. I wouldn't say never to, to opening another bar. Um, I, I have other interests, and you know, got little little bits of property here and there, and and, and I, I really enjoy that. Um, so, I, I mean, keep keeping doing what I'm doing. Really, I'm, I'm, I've 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 got a great set of lads that I work with. You know, they're a, a lot of the guys are my best friends, and we've worked with together for for over a decade now. So 
going to work with them isn't all bad. It's it's pretty pretty good fun. So yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm I don't have you know I I, I I you know I admire people who have specific goals, but for me it's just really consolidating and continuing to grow the the core business, adding little bits here and there, um, and keeping enjoying it. I think that's the main thing. While I'm enjoying it, I'll keep doing it. It says it a lot, doesn't it? If your goal can be to continue what you're doing, I mean, what better? Yeah, goal I'm really lucky about that. Yeah, totally, I mean, totally. Something that we do with everyone. If you were, if you had a chance to make a phone call to yourself in the past, so to Dave who was still in that <laughs> chip shop when yeah. the, the girl came and spoke to you, if you could yeah. give him a phone call and give him a bit of advice now, whether it be about life or work or whatever it may be, what would you say to him now based on kind of all the years yeah. of experience you've had since? I would say, I think probably I was a bit naive. I thought everyone was friendly and that no one would try and screw you over and that it was a, I, I, don't get me wrong, I learned it very quick. But yeah, I think probably just be aware that people are, you know, people run their businesses differently. People will treat you differently. But in the same respect, I would say, you know, I, I don't regret being like that. I would much rather be trusting of people and see the best in people. And don't get me wrong, it's bitten me quite a few times and, and you know, I've, I've paid the price for it a, a few times. But I certainly feel like, you know, the, the alternative is to be super paranoid and be worried about things and to be stressed. And it's a really stressful industry anyway to work in and, and very cutthroat. So I'm kind of glad that I, I, I don't, don't, you know, apart from maybe that festival, I don't lose sleep at night. I, 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 I go to bed happy and content and I go to, you know, I wake up and go to work looking forward to each day. And I, I feel that's a really privileged position to be in. And I thank my lucky stars that I am. Um, but yeah, I guess probably don't be quite as naive as you were. And, and, and every once in a while, the lads are still like, come on, mate, stop being, you know, wake up and smell the whatever it is, wake up and smell the coffee. You know, you, 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 you need to figure this out. And I'm like, oh no, it's all right. No, maybe not. But I would rather live, live my life like that. So I, I guess, yeah, don't be, maybe not be quite as naive, but also don't slip into the trap of being worried and paranoid about everything either. Dave, honestly, that has been brilliant. Thank you so, so much, not just for coming on the podcast, but I should probably also say thank you because without you and what Boone did, <laughs> I suddenly wouldn't be where I am. Mate, right you now, got yourself where you I'm in my mum's spare bedroom, so it's not that grand. <laughs> but as a general rule, thank you so much for not just giving me opportunity, so many other people out there as not well, and for a few of those drunken nights that everybody's had at university. So there you go. There probably is a lot of people who maybe without even knowing it, or Dave, a pretty big thank you to for being the man behind what is for so many people some of their best, if slightly blurry memories of university. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please, please, please don't forget to click subscribe. It costs you literally nothing, but will make me very happy. We'll be back next week with another guest, but in the meantime, don't forget to check out our radio show as well. That crams in as much of the best new music we can find into one hour every single Thursday. To have a listen, all you have to do is search Candy Pants wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. But until then, as always, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you all very soon. <laughs>